0: A farmer's time is valuable. That's why Blaine's Farm and Fleet has made shopping for your must-haves quick and easy. Simply order online at farmandfleet.com and pick up your items in just one hour in their convenient drive through Or try Farm and Fleet's same-day local delivery option.
1: The Zone. Sows, cows, plows. Heck, anything connected to farming's on the menu here.
2: This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. Good morning on a cool Friday morning. Aaron Zimmerman here with the Midwest Farm Report. It looks like today that temperature is not going to get very much higher. Looks like only a high of just under 70 and maybe some showers across the listening area. We'll catch up with Stu Muck ag meteorologist after just a little bit now if you are a farmer or a hunter of any sort you might want to listen up a little later on this week a few conservation and animal rights groups filed suit against wisconsin regarding the fall wolf hunt stephanie hoff got the chance to sit in at a press conference and get some different views from others on the topic Finally, we'll wrap out the show today talking to Tony Pyrick of Watertown, Wisconsin, the chairman of Dodge County Farmers for Healthy Soil, Healthy Water. Last week they held a field day out in Brownsville, Wisconsin, and I had the chance to talk with him about what the group's goals are and the things that they're trying to accomplish within their county. Let's get things kicked off here this morning on Friday, September 3rd.
3: 4-H'ers come from all over the U.S., including the frozen tundra. And no, we're not talking about northern Wisconsin. I'm Stephanie Hoff from the southern end of the world's longest barn in Madison. Bob Bolzl, you recently had a chance to talk to some Alaskan 4-H'ers. And uh, what are they up to up there?
4: They're up to basically a lot of the same things that they're doing in your home county of Clark County, Stephanie, and any other county in Wisconsin, Bob Bosold, here at the northern end of the world's longest barn. And while we were in Alaska recently, we did have a chance to spend a day at the Alaska State Fair in Palmer. And we went into the 4-H building and talked with Candy Durnfield. She's the state program director for 4-H. And as you might expect, it's a big one. 4-H agents in the Matsu Copper River District go out to talk to their members. They're gone for six weeks because they have so much ground to cover. But she told us at the State Fair in Palmer that 4-H is alive and well in Alaska.
5: It absolutely is. Um, we have 4-H um, pretty much in every hub, um, so major city, if you will, in the state of Alaska.
4: In Wisconsin, we've got uh, maybe 30 clubs in a county. 40, 50 miles will be the range of a county across the north and south. Tell us about some of these districts and how big some of these 4-H districts are in Alaska. The the Matsu Copper River, how big a territory are we covering?
5: So our Matsu Copper River district is from, let's say, central state of Alaska from the west coast all the way to the east border for Canada Um, and then down to Valdez and we also the largest district is our Tanana district which is pretty much like from Denali Park all the way up east and west Um, so there's hundreds and hundreds of miles and we might have 30 clubs we might have 50 clubs in a district there might be like one community club um, like in Kodiak on the island they have one community club and then they have a lot of project clubs
4: now, how many County 4-H agents or youth development specialists, as they're called now sometimes, how many of those do we have to cover some of these districts, which are hundreds and hundreds of miles?
5: So, <laughs> that's a great question, too. Um, we have um, eight eight districts, and I'm kind of like making my way with my hand back and forth because We also work with our hubs, Um, so the city of Bethel is one of our hubs. We actually have a 4-H center there that's staffed with um, four full-time staff. Um, and they do after-school program all year round. They work with um, about 40-some villages that are around that area. Um, in Kodiak, we have a full-time 4-H um, agent or 4-H educator, and they have almost 100 4-Hers in, in um, Kodiak. In um, Anchorage, we have um, a person dedicated in the Copper Center, which is in Matsu region, a huge area, one person dedicated. We have someone in Juneau that's halftime. Um, And then half-time agriculture, horticulture. We have someone in Fairbanks that's full-time for that large region. Um, We have a 4-H educator in Dillingham. Alaska that works with the Bristol Bay area and we also have some full-time 4-H faculty that work on grants um, and work with like populations such as teens that are in state custody with our federally recognized tribal programs so we have a very very diverse population and as far as um, staffing in Alaska very very diverse
4: and I would think the projects are just as diverse because of the way the state is, is spread out because of the climate, because of a whole lot of things that are different in Wisconsin. What are some of the, the projects? Obviously the kids are going to grow vegetables, which Alaska is famous for, but what else?
5: So we have dog mushing clubs, and we have the agriculture, the horticulture. It's pr- I think people are surprised that we have market livestock in Alaska, and we we do. We have um, a really great bustling market livestock program in the Kenai Peninsula. They had their fair, I believe it was Expo, a couple weeks ago in Fairbanks. I think one of the most unique is probably the market reind- market livestock for reindeer. Um, so we have some foragers that are raising reindeer for market livestock. You know some of the animals look a little bit different here maybe because their their coats are thicker but we we have them yeah.
4: Do we have four Hers that have I just thinking because of the oceans and the Gulf and everything like that that are focused on on fisheries or anything like that?
5: So we do do culture camps during the summer and help with those. So for example, down in Dillingham, our 4-H educator um, will do a culture camp. In Bethel, they'll do a culture camp and they will focus on salmon um, and all the different uses of salmon that are culturally relevant. So they might do salmon printing, artwork, they might teach them how to process the salmon, like different recipes, Mm. all of the different uses. So maybe not like the, the fishing industry per se um, but we do have a lot of culturally relevant you know around the fishing and subsistence living
4: you mentioned the reindeer isn't it true that 4-h have only been able to own reindeer the last few years because they were supposedly only in the custody so to speak of the native Alaskans then they changed the law so 4-hers could get involved
5: Well, so, you know, that's a really interesting question, too. We've had a a reindeer researcher at the University of Alaska Fairbanks with our experiment farms for a number of years, um, Dr. Shipka, and led that project, and through their work with um, the various organizations, and and I do not know the history on that, I will be honest, Mm but um, I know since I've been here, and it's been about 17 years, that the youth have been able to have market um, reindeer since then.
4: How do they sell at the market animal sale?
5: pretty good. I mean, they sell right along with everything else. For me, you know, living living here for so long, I, that's one of those staples almost in your freezer. So you need to, you know, if you aren't um, lucky enough to get your caribou while you're caribou hunting, you might buy a reindeer at the 4-H Market Livestock Sale. You just never know.
4: Candy, we're standing at the State Fair in Palmer. You mentioned the ex- exhibition up in Fairbanks. How many opportunities like that are there around the state for 4-Hers to, to show their products?
5: So, you know, obviously this year with the, with the pandemic, it's been a little bit different, but in a normal year, we will have um, fair opportunities in most of the larger hubs again in the state. So the Deltana Fair near Delta, which is also near Fort Greeley. And then in Fairbanks, it's the Tanana Valley State Fair. So that's for like the central, of course, the Alaska um, the Alaska State Fair here in Palmer. And they'll have a fair in Kodiak on the island. They'll have a fair in Bethel, Alaska. They'll have one in Haines, Alaska, let's see, Kenai, of course, Soldotna. So yeah, pretty in, in all the larger areas in the state. And one of the, I think, in different things about Alaska, too, another different thing is that they might be like, they might be like the state fair in Fairbanks is the Tanana Valley State Fair, the Alaska State Fair in Palmer, but... They're all state fairs, and, and so you can send your, uh, as a 4 HR, you can take your project to every single state fair if you want. Um, it's not like a progressive thing, so you can have multiple opportunities to exhibit your livestock, obviously, if they're not market, you know, and they're sold already, but um, our non livestock projects, too.
4: This, of course, is such a big state. Do you have a, a- Place where four hers can come together for an annual conference outside of their own district because their districts are bigger than our state. But do they come together any place?
5: You know, years past, obviously, travel is a very, very huge expense in our state. Many, many years ago, they would have conferences, you know, on campus at UAF, and we've done that um, a few times. We have a huge partnership with our military par- um, partnership here in Alaska. Um, one year, we brought teens into IELTS and Air Force Base and worked with their youth center and did a youth-adult partnership training. So we've hosted the Western Region Volunteer Leaders Forum in Fairbanks and in Anchorage and hundreds of volunteers coming in from all over our Western region of the United States and actually outside the region, because why not? You want to go to Alaska, right?
4: Yeah, it's and 4-H, a, double, double You can win. get it paid for. That's a great right. way to double see Alaska. Win. But 4-H is alive and well and growing absolutely. in Alaska. Absolutely,
5: absolutely, yes. And again, very diverse probably one of the most diverse in the nation, just with the, the populations that we're reaching, the youth we're reaching, and the different kinds of projects. I think one of the projects that's really close to my heart is our grant that we work with teens that are in state custody. So we work with um, the Office of Children's Services and the Department of Juvenile Justice in develop and helping with workforce development programs um, with those youth. So as they're aging out or coming out of the system, that they'll have life skills ready to, ready to go and be productive adults in society.
4: Is that conducted by just adults or can they partner with actual 4-H members, these youth and, you know, more of a one-on-one similar age?
5: So, you know, the program has like a a a number of different numerations of it so one of them um, is for foster families they might come in and we'll do, like I'd done like a, a 4-H club with the foster families and we might have other 4-H members come in then and help but when we're working with those teens that are in state custody because you know we have some confidentiality things and um, so it's mainly our staff that are going in um, lately it's been on zoom one of the really interesting things though is that since we've been doing this for about I think it's about seven eight years now is the the idea that community organizations really can offer life skill development and really can make a difference in um, you know the teens lives so for example we've also um, brought yoga into the youth facility and acting and just helping with you know some of those different life skills that might be more challenging because of childhood traumas, such as you know anger management and you know just that whole all of those things that happen with childhood traumas. So it's been really really interesting, and I think a um, a really um, amazing partnership that we've been able to develop, and we hope to replicate.
4: 4-H, no matter where it is, making our communities better. Candy, thank you.
5: Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.
4: All right, Candy Derenfield, who is
5: the Alaska State 4-H Program Director.
4: Here at the State Fair in Palmer, I'm Bob Bosold. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke.
6: At Blaine's Farm and Fleet, we know the value of good quality products. That's why we carry top brands at affordable prices. And right now, get even greater savings during our September Ag Stock Up event. Take $30 off Curt Class 3 hitches and adjustable channel mounts. Include special orders. And remember, we install. Pick up a 50-gallon square liquid transfer tank from Delta, just $229.99. Take $10 off DZ truck bed mats, regularly $99.99, now $89.99. Get rid of tough weeds fast with PBI Gordon LV402 4D herbicide. Two and a half gallons, just $34.99. Rewards members pay $29.99 during our end-of-season sale while supplies last. No rain checks. And check out our end-of-season sale on King Cutter products. Get up to 15% off while supplies last. No rain checks. Plus, check out this great doorbuster deal. Take $3 off Diamond and Diamond Naturals 28-55-pound to bags of dog food. That's genuine value from Blaine's Farm and Fleet.
7: The Madison Police Department and Madison Area Crime Stoppers need your help with an armed robbery investigation. On August 2, 2021, at approximately 1.26 p.m., MPD officers were dispatched to the 2900 block of Commercial Avenue for an armed robbery. The victims were on the bike path when the suspect approached them. The suspect displayed a weapon and took the victim's necklace, cash, and AirPods. The suspect then fled the scene on foot. The suspect was described as a younger male black, larger build, last seen wearing a black sweatshirt, black sweatpants, and a black face mask. If you have any information regarding this incident, please contact the Madison Police Department at 255-2345. If you wish to remain anonymous, please contact Madison Area Crime Stoppers at 266-6014 or on the web at p3tips.com. Individuals contacting Crime Stoppers can receive up to $1,000 in cash rewards for tips that lead to an arrest.
1: Spreading farm information and occasionally manure. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Yonke.
2: And it's time now for your Compere Financial Ag Weather Update with Ag Meteorologist Stu Muck. Stu, it's a little cooler one again here this morning. And and like I said earlier, I don't look like it's going to get much warmer today at all.
8: No, don't call it cool or cold. That's for certain. Uh, But, you know, yeah, we aren't quite back to that normal level. And we should be... Oh, 77 at Madison, 80 degrees at La Crosse, especially at La Crosse where we've had a little rain this morning air, and it's just not going to be as warm today. La Crosse officially at the airport saying one one hundredth of an inch of rain. I look just a little further west, Stewartville, Minnesota, southeast part of the state thirty-six hundredths of an inch overnight. Richfield, Hennepin County, up around the Twin Cities, ninety-seven hundredths of an inch late yesterday and last night. Nothing like that being reported in Wisconsin yet today, but We do have low pressure trying to build east, a frontal boundary still somewhat west back toward the Dakotas' northwest Minnesota. And a little disturbance that will drop down into Iowa and Illinois through today and into the day tomorrow. It will account for some rain. The radar indicating that shower activity in central and northeast Iowa, southeast Minnesota, with some scattered showers into western and even central Wisconsin, Not quite to Stevens Point yet, but certainly up at Eau Claire and Chippewa Falls. That activity will try to spread east and a bit southeast, but weaken as it does make that move today, just not a major big storm that's going to push all kinds of rain in, but it will edge our way. And as it does move on in, we'll all talk about some showers. Showers linger on and off in western Wisconsin all day today and into the night. The rest of us may not see them develop until a bit later today or on toward evening, and they may last overnight or into Saturday. But all of us, a couple of tenths of an inch may be about all that we see, although lacrosse may add a little more rain yet today. But most of us just talk about a couple of tenths of an inch, a little shower to get the weekend off to somewhat of a damp start and then cool and comfortable near normal or maybe just below. That's the temperature pattern that sticks around right into next week with a small rain chance trying to return late Monday night or into Tuesday. I'll have forecast details right after this.
4: The Wisconsin Soybean Association works hard to share the voices of Wisconsin soybean growers at the state and national level. And you can become a member at badgerbean.com. Besides a voice in Washington, WSA members receive free seed, discounted event tickets and products. Not to mention news on the latest in soybean research and technology. And being a member of the Wisconsin Soybean Association also makes you a member of the American Soybean Association. So join today at badgerbean.com and help the Wisconsin Soybean Association go to work for you.
3: Stephanie Hoff here with the Midwest Farm Report. Join me for a new monthly segment on the Midwest Farm Report. It's called the Gempler's Test Plot, where this month I'll try my hand at harvesting and pruning my backyard fruit. You can watch and learn about the tools and gear to get the job done. Since 1939, Wisconsin-based Gemplers has been helping farmers, ranchers, and gardeners get work done smarter, faster, and safer. Follow along with me at MidwestFarmReport.com.
2: All right, Stu, well, my family and I are heading up to the Minnesota State Fair this weekend to show some cattle. Looks like we might have to throw in a sweatshirt or a rain jacket or maybe an umbrella in the bag then.
8: Well, yeah, just for tonight or early tomorrow. Beyond that, it turns out a whole lot nicer. Our Compure Financial Ag Weather update does include that cloudy sky in the west, becoming mostly cloudy further east today as well. And that rain chance, scattered showers linger today in the west, develop maybe midday in central Wisconsin and the later part of the afternoon in the east. Temps will still be nice. Upper 60s in the west, closer to 70 or a bit above the further east you go. And southeast winds at 5 to 10. Overnight, cloudy skies, and, of course, a few scattered showers. Like I've said, a couple of tenths of an inch. And into the low 60s overnight, southeast winds at 5 to 10. Saturday, still some chance of a little rain early in the day, especially in the east. Mostly cloudy skies and clearing in the west in the low 70s. South winds will become northwest 5 to 10. And then sunny Sunday, upper 70s, maybe an 80 in the south. West winds 5 to 15, gust to 25. Labor Day Monday, sunny skies, mid and upper 70s with a west breeze. The later part of the weekend, it sounds fantastic, Aaron.
2: So it looks like not too bad a weather forecast. It looks like even for people that are out there, you know, chopping corn silage, those kind of things, doesn't look like it'll slow them down for very long.
8: No, no. Today and tonight, especially uh, the biggest slowdown, and beyond that, I think we'll just keep making progress.
2: All righty. Sounds good. That's your Compere Financial Ag Weather Update with Ag Meteorologist Stu Muck. Compere Financial, your financial partner committed to agriculture and rural America. Visit compere.com.
1: This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke.
0: You rarely think about it, and it often goes unnoticed, until your basement or building floods. A reliable sump pump can be a lifesaver, preventing flooding by detecting water levels and pumping the water back outside, away from your home or business. If your sump pump isn't functioning, contact your friends at Benjamin Plumbing. They can replace your existing sump pump, floats, and check valves. They'll even upgrade your current system to include a battery backup system. The battery makes sure your system continues to work in the event of a power outage. Away from home? Receive pump activation alerts on your smart device. Enjoy peace of mind and improve the value of your property with an upgraded sump pump from Benjamin Plumbing.
2: Hi, Dale Benjamin with Benjamin Plumbing. When we say your plumbing problem is fixed, we mean it. No excuses. I guarantee it. Contact Benjamin Plumbing at BenjaminPlumbing.com.
9: Now you've got a friend in the plumbing business.
2: Benjamin Plumbing.
10: Prairie Exteriors does excellent work with metal roofing. He's got the best computerized bending tools for the metal. Saves me a lot of money because he does that. He has the ability to bend it right there on the job.
6: Improve the look and value of your property with one of the area's highest rated exterior companies, Prairie Exteriors.
10: Prairie
1: Exteriors, now that's impressive.
6: Good people. PrairieExteriors.com
10: We all make choices. When it comes to alcohol, kids make choices whether to drink or not.
13: Bye, Dad. Bye-bye.
11: Remember, I'm going to Alex's party tonight and sleeping over.
14: Hey, have a seat for a second. Remind me about that party again. And
10: adults make choices whether to talk about it. That's true of parents and every other trusted adult in a kid's life. Kids want to know our expectations when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. They want guidance and honest answers to their questions. And it makes a difference when the message is consistent and part of everyday conversations. So talk with your kids and help lead them on a positive path. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov.
12: Looking for that unique, one-of-a-kind engagement ring, something that you can customize yourself. Maybe a gorgeous pendant necklace, diamond earrings. The place to go, Goodman's Jewelers. They're an icon in Madison. They've been around forever and right on State Street in their same location, a couple blocks from the state capitol. They're the place to go to when it comes to buying jewelry. Goodman's Jewelers has everything from the more traditional style jewelry for your engagement rings, pendants, necklaces, earrings, to the more modern styles as well. They can customize and create anything for you. Unique funky diamonds, one-of-a-kind pieces, stuff you won't find anywhere else, and price range for everyone. When you step into Goodman's Jewelers, you'll feel the warmth and you'll feel welcome. They'll treat you just like family. You want to go somewhere where you can trust when you're buying jewelry for that special someone? Then remember my friends and family at Goodman's Jewelers. Right there, a couple blocks from the state capitol on State Street. Goodman's Jewelers.
0: Hit your camping season out of the park with Fathead's Country Campers. Fathead's lineup covers the bases with small, lightweight campers that you can pull with your SUV to toy haulers that let you load up the toys and head out into left field. Fathead's Country Campers doesn't play games. You'll get the best price on every camper, every time, with no hidden fees. Check them out just off I-94 and Lake Mills or at
14: CountryCampers.com. That's CountryCampers.com. Brian Gudukunst was asked on the podium yesterday if Aaron Rodgers, or if he essentially cleared these moves with Aaron Rodgers before he did it. Is that just an insanity or what? Or is this just what the season is going to be, appease Rodgers and see what happens?
15: Well, it had to be asked, and he kind of talked around it in circles. He's had great conversations with Aaron and other people and, and blah, blah, blah. I, I, I would say he really, you know, if you read closely through that answer, he really didn't officially answer the question. I I don't think for the most part, and again, I, this, this is, you know, somewhat speculation. I mean, when it, when it got down to the... Right, the, the the fourth safety to the ninth offensive lineman to the sixth line, maybe on the wide receiver there was a little bit of dialogue. But, but the overwhelming majority of these positions, this this was this was Gutekunst's deal. You know? One one of the things when they redid the power structure over there, guys, that you know, Gutekunst was adamant about. Um, and I talked to him about this one year at the Scouting Combine. One thing that he was adamant about was, was maintaining control of the 53. He didn't want Murphy to be part of that, other people in the organization. You know, it's always been the general manager who picked the 53. Now, now, how much he involved Aaron in those conversations, guys, you know, I, honestly, we're never going to know that, right? You're you're, you're you're exactly spot on. Evo, it is insanity that we're even having the conversation. Did the quarterback have a say <laughs> on anything whatsoever? <laughs> I think if he did, Evo, it was minimal at best. Um, you know, maybe they said to him, hey, you know, it, 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 it's St. Brown or Taylor. What do you think? Again, I, we're, we're speculating here. I don't think he had much say in the overall grand scheme of things. You know, trading for a punter, putting five D.R.E. on pump, uh, setting the defense, deciding on the 26 guys that made it on that side of the ball. And I, I think if there were any conversations, they were very minimal just to appease him. Because everybody's just trying to get through
14: twenty twenty one without this thing blowing up. Yeah, Rob Rochester joining us right now from Forbes.com. Sadly, a uh, a a shorter version today, Robbie. I know we had some things to switch around, but that's okay. We love you, no matter how much time we have you, Robbie. But hey, well, let's
15: just do two segments then, my brother.
14: I love it, Nelly. Are you okay with Robbie taking <laughs> taking over the raises? I don't that? care. Rob, beautiful, Rob. I freaking love you, man. Hey, Rob. Uh, really quick, then, uh, when it comes to you know. J- Gouda Coons, to. By the way, my conspiracy theory is that when J.K. Scott was holding that ball and Mason Crosby missed that field goal against the Buffalo Bills, Mason Crosby gave uh, J.K. Scott the desk there, and then Mason Crosby ran as fast as he could to Aaron Rodgers to tell, hey, Aaron, I don't want this guy in the team anymore. Cut him. And then Aaron told Goody to go do it. That's my conspiracy theory, Rob. But any other surprises for the cutdowns, Rob, at all for you uh, when it comes to the Packers trimming it down to 53?
15: You know, that there really was, and, and I wrote that the other day, But we. we you know, I, I reference this quite a bit. You know, we, we've had all these years and in, in, in the in the past. You know, the the Dickey-Paul Coston release in 1986. Dickey had been the quarterback for a decade. Coston's arguably the greatest tight end in, in in franchise history, right? Josh Sitton getting the action 16. Mike Daniels getting the action 19. It seems there's always kind of this minor surprise or two, or or even some years of kind of a major shocker, but. This this roster, guys, I I think even dating back to, let's say, you know, the middle of May after the draft, a lot of us could have thrown a 53-man out there and probably had 50 of them at that point in time. Um, You know, a guy like Jack Hefflin who who comes in out of nowhere and and makes the team as an undrafted free agent, there's always one of those stories out there. Um, You know, Rivers, the outside linebacker, has only been around for four weeks. He's a little bit of a surprise. I mean, the guys, we're, you know, we're talking there about players between 45, 47 and 53 on the roster. I mean, they, 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 this group has been put together, built to win, largely established guys for, you know, several months now. The whole key, obviously through the summer was getting the quarterback to come back to Green Bay and, and they accomplished that. And then, and then the other stuff was kind of minor guys. Um, and, you know, St. Brown getting, getting the ax, Ben Braden. I mean, not, none, of, none of that is, is earth-shattering, you know, stop the presses kind of news. So, really, I mean, the big story of the day, people, was obviously Jerry going to pump. And, yeah. and now we're going to have some issues on the offensive line, I think, the first six weeks of the year that they've got to fight through.
14: Right back at it with our guy, Rob Reichel. Rob, just just radio terms, we got a hard out at 8 Just an FYI, my friend. How about that jargon I- for you? I'll do my best to keep it short. Rob, that's funny. You got jokes today, buddy. <laughs> hey, Robbie, so I want to talk to you really quick about, uh, you know, week one tomorrow, or tomorrow. Uh, next week, I should say, next Sunday, as the Packers were going to go down to New Orleans. Obviously, Hurricane Ida had other. Th-
1: From farm to fork and everything in between, we cover it all.
2: This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. And most definitely everything in between. Aaron Zimmerman for the Midwest Farm Report back here with you. Now, from the Alcivia Farm News Desk, here's what's happening on a Friday. This week... A few conservation and animal rights groups have decided to sue the state of Wisconsin over its authorization of a 300-wolf quota for the November wolf hunt. Our very own Stephanie Hoff got to listen in on a press conference regarding this lawsuit, as well as talk to Wisconsin Farm Bureau about their stance on the issue.
3: A group of conservation organizations is suing the DNR over its 300-wolf quota for the November wolf hunt. Animal Wellness Actions is one of the groups in the lawsuit Paul Collins is the state director for that group. He's calling this lawsuit the first step in righting a major wrong. He says Wisconsin law mandates an annual recreational wolf hunt season from November to February, and it's the only state to allow packs of hounds against the wolves.
0: Our lawsuit challenges the quota, how the quota was set, the actions of the Natural Resources Board, in particular of the expired term chairperson Frederick Prenn, And the constitutionality of the law that mandates a wolf hunting season under our public trust doctrine. The Wisconsin Natural Resources Board recently approved a reckless kill quota of 300 wolves for the next killing season that begins in November. These 300 wolves are on top of the known 218 killed during the ill advised, poorly monitored, and reckless slaughter that occurred in February. Wisconsin's Natural Resources Board treats its role as a promoter of hunting opportunities for trophy hunters, hounders and trappers, rather than as the steward of a rare species that improves the health of our state's ecosystem and reduces the impacts of prey species such as deer on forest overbrowsing and even traffic accidents.
3: He says the lawsuit is designed to stop the DNR from overreaching. Project Coyote is another organization involved in this lawsuit, and conservation manager Michelle Lute says the DNR is underestimating the impact these hunts have on wolves. Studies
7: indicate that allowing legalized killing increases illegal killing. That impacts the population in ways that the DNR and the Natural Resources Board are not considering. After February hunt, During wolves breeding season, we should not be surprised at what is likely very low reproductive success. The DNR does not know what's happening on the ground for wolves and is not accurately considering the dire population scenarios that we are already seeing. And it will only get much worse with another hunt this year. With chronic wasting disease rapidly infecting big game herds across the country, wolves are an important tool for checking the spread of this devastating disease and others.
3: Michelle Lutz says if the soup prevails, they want to come up with non-lethal solutions to protecting livestock. Farmers and pet owners are entitled to wolf damage compensation if their animal had been attacked or killed by wolves. According to the DNR, more than $44,000 has been approved this year to pay for wolf damage compensation. This is for about three dozen claims. The most money went to pay for calves at more than $11,000. This is followed by horses at $7,500 and hound dogs, also at $7,500. Compared to the total number of livestock in Wisconsin, Paul Collins is calling it minuscule. But Tyler Wensloff, the Director of Government Relations for the Wisconsin Farm Bureau Federation, says wolf hunts are important to make sure that depredation money is funded.
13: The amount of money that is sent to the farmer, it comes from the license fees that are paid into the hunting of wolves. And so when we have a situation like we had for a couple years where we didn't have the availability to manage our wolves by the state, we run into a lot of problems when it comes to those depredation payments. So With this lawsuit and the idea that we would go back to um, an unmanaged predator, we would run into a lot of problems with those payments and hunters not getting those in a, a timely manner, which can make a big difference when it comes to agriculture. And we have farms that are barely hanging on as it is, and all of a sudden a predator comes along and has access to their animals, it, it could mean the closure of that farm. And that is why an active management by the state of wolves is so important.
3: The conservation groups did not give an example of what non-lethal measures would look like to prevent wolves, but Tyler says more often than not, it comes to higher fences and more barbed wire. He says the issues with those solutions are that the public does not want to see higher fences in the countryside and farmers do not want to have to put barbed wire around their fields. When asked if the Farm Bureau would get on the other side of this lawsuit, Tyler says they're still looking into it.
13: Whether we want to file a brief in or not. Once we have speak to our legal counsel and, and take a look at um, the lawsuit, you know, we'll make that determination then. I think we just want to emphasize that this has been litigated 12 years ago, that this is not any, they're not bringing anything new to the table, that, that this argument has been had, this debate has been had both in the courts and also in the court of public opinion. The legislature has ruled on this and and instituted a season. Those that live in northern Wisconsin overwhelmingly support the the management of wolves and uh, our members do as well. And I think that this is another case of the uh, urban-rural divide and out-of-state groups trying to tell Wisconsin what they're gonna do with their uh, with their predators.
3: Meanwhile, the conservation groups are confident their suit against the DNR will be successful this time around. This is despite a judge forcing the hunt in February. Attorney Claire Davis explains why.
15: We do not think it's a long shot. What was the difference between the lawsuit in February and the lawsuit today is that there is no hypothetical future hunt. There is a hunt that has been scheduled and there will now be two hunts in the year of 2021. So we do feel that we have a chance a very good chance at stopping this fall hunt. And the fact that that judge forced the hunt under the statute against DNR's recommendations is actually very good evidence that our claims are justified and worthy and will be successful.
3: The lawsuit was filed in the Dane County Circuit Court. You can read more on the suit at MidwestFarmReport.com. I'm Stephanie Hoff.
0: Whether it's a lot or a little, we need your rainfall reports. The Rural Mutual Rainfall Report is on. Text your rainfall reports to 877 301 That's 877-301-3276. Be sure and include your name and where you're reporting from because every month we'll pick a winner for a digital weather station courtesy Rural Mutual Insurance. Premiums paid here, stay here to keep Wisconsin strong. Text those rainfall reports to 877-301-FARM.
2: We'll get right to your current commodity markets here in just a second. But first, Wisconsin's cropland rent was down slightly throughout 2021. Now, non-irrigated cropland rent averaged $133 per acre in Wisconsin this year. That's a decrease of $5 per acre from 2020. This is according to the latest report released by USDA's National Agricultural Statistics Service. Now, cash rent paid for pasture in Wisconsin, however, averaged $37 an acre in 2021, which is an increase of $2 per acre from last year. Lafayette County had the highest published average cash rent for non-irrigated cropland at $214 per acre this year, followed by Grant County at $210 per acre, and then Brown and Green Counties at $190 and $183 per acre. The highest published pasture cash rent was $61 per acre in both Lafayette County and Rock Counties. Manitowoc, Racine and Dane were the only other counties above $50 per acre at 56.50 in Manitowoc and Racine and 55.50 in Dane County. Now let's go ahead and take a look at your current commodity markets. Yesterday, barrel cheese closed at 139.5 up 1.5. 40 40-pound blocks at 172 up 1. AA butter finished at 179.5 up 3. Currently through the overnight trade, December corn is currently sitting at 521 and a quarter, down four and a quarter. November soybeans at twelve eighty-five and a quarter, up two. September wheat is down two at seven oh two. The September milk contract is currently at sixteen sixty-four a hundredweight, down three cents, while the October contract is also down three cents at sixteen seventy-eight. There's a look at your current commodity markets. We'll be right back in just a minute talking with Tony Pyrick of the Dodge County Farmers for Healthy Water and Healthy Soil to see what they have going on within Dodge County looking at conservation practices as well as sustainable and regenerative agriculture.
1: This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke.
12: Looking for that unique, one-of-a-kind engagement ring, something that you can customize yourself, maybe a gorgeous pendant necklace, diamond earrings. The place to go, Goodman's Jewelers. They're an icon in Madison. They've been around forever and right on State Street in their same location, a couple blocks from the state capitol. They're the place to go to when it comes to buying jewelry. Goodman's Jewelers has everything from the more traditional style jewelry for your engagement rings, pendants, necklaces, earrings, to the more modern styles as well. They can customize and create anything for you. Unique funky diamonds, one-of-a-kind pieces, Stuff you won't find anywhere else. And price range for everyone. When you step into Goodman's Jewelers, you'll feel the warmth and you'll feel welcome. They'll treat you just like family. You want to go somewhere where you can trust when you're buying jewelry for that special someone? Then remember my friends and family at Goodman's Jewelers. Right there, a couple blocks from the state capitol on State Street. Goodman's Jewelers.
16: This looks like a car. It has tires. Headlights, a hood, windshield wipers. the doors look like car doors, open like them too. There's a front seat and back seat steering wheel ninety nine point nine percent of the time this would be a car, but it's not. This is a bedroom. I need a washington's for five weeks. There are people like Anita all across Dane County. And because the need is there, so are we. This year, we'll provide Anita and other women, children, and men with nearly 20,000 nights of shelter. Just one part of more than $1.4 million in food, clothing, furniture, and other goods and services we provide. We're St. Vincent DePaul, helping our neighbors in need.
1: Connecting producers and consumers one story at a time. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke.
2: When we talk about sustainable and regenerative agriculture, there's a group in Dodge County that's working hard to educate farmers about what those practices might mean for them. The group, Dodge County Farmers for Healthy Water, Healthy Soil, is led by Chairman Tony Pyrick of Watertown, Wisconsin. He shares what kind of things their group is looking to accomplish to help farmers within Dodge
9: County. Well, our group is Education. And uh, it's a farmer led group, and running this regenerative agriculture, which is so called regenerative, cover crops, no till, and strip till, and whatever you want to do, is uh, a process. And I think our group is out here to educate. And uh, we put on, like, try to put four major events on a year. Uh, this is our third one for the year already. And get made some major events and get some speakers in and show them what farmers are doing, and also have speakers come and explain the benefits of what we're trying to do cover crops. Uh, anything to do with no-till, uh, interseeding, and uh, the process out there is education. I mean, we got to educate farmers. Don't want to do this. You got to show them why it works and and uh, the facts, and it makes a big difference. Sure.
2: Now, tell me a little bit about how did this group in Dodge County get started, and you know, kind of what
9: was the driving force behind it? Okay, well, this group started. I got it started in 2016. 2015 the lake associations were, were were concerned about their their phosphorus runoff in their lakes there's three major lakes in dodge county fox uh, beaver dam and cinnissippi uh, and they're really concerned about this algae blooms and the phosphorus running their lakes and they just wanted to improve their lakes and they wanted to push forward on a mandate as trying to put buffers out there which was a big word going back in uh to, you know 2015 uh, how to stop erosion coming into lakes well it's just a that's not really true with that, the buffer. So the county board said, no, we got to come up with something better. So they turned it over to the Land Conservation Department and said, you got to come up, get some farmers together, get the lake people together, get the NRCS together, get the DNR people together, sit down and come up with a solution how we can come, you know, work forward to this. So meanwhile, we're meeting all the time every month at the Extension Building. There was a, a program going up in, uh, oh, it was by... Uh, up by Stevens Point up there, it was a Pentonwell watershed, and I went to it, and Ray Archuleta was there, and it had a very, the farmers did a really good presentation up there on their lakes, and the algae problem they had, and solutions that farmers can start implementing to help reduce that, and at that time, it was the covers, and, and, and uh, planting green, and starting to, you know, no-till and everything. So, I brought that back, and our group did the yearly meeting, we had finally finalized it, and uh, we we're going to give the recommendations to the county board. And then uh, at that time, I saw what that group was going. There's a few started already in Wisconsin. And I said, if they would help myself and some other people help me with this group. Uh, Bill Betke was another instigator, he was the head of the thing. He helped me quite a bit. We had some good, and we had a county agent that really helped us that time, too, to get this started. So I put a major event together in February. This was in August when we finally got done with our meeting. And I just wanted to get you know about 50 farmers there or something. We had a rare coming in, and we put the word out. Did a lot of sponsorship, and we had over 260 in 2016, which is really impressive. So we explained what we're going to do, and then I asked for farmer participation at that meeting because farmers didn't know what they are going to get involved with. You can't ask farmers to do something that they don't know. So we explained the whole process of regenerative ag or the cover crop and no-till, and uh, pushed forward. We got a good, good start here. I got a good co-chair, Marty Weiss. We got a good board of directors. We're 501c3. And I've uh, got a good group of farmers here that are doing these practices, and we're doing them and showing more people, and we're getting growth. You know, it's always been got some big farmers on it. We've got little farmers on it, and it's every year you're getting a couple of farmers come up to you and thank you for doing this, and it's working for them. So it's an educational process out here, and we've got to support the farmer-led groups in Wisconsin here, and which I say DATCAP does do a really good job of sponsoring and helping us. And it's uh, pretty impressive what we do here in Wisconsin. Cause I get calls from all over the United States, and I actually got a call from London, England, a uh, newspaper wanted to do a story on us so that's quite interesting when they call you across the ocean and want to know what you're doing over here definitely and that sounds
2: like a lot of great work going on now being responsible and being sustainable is important for our lakes and our waterways and what have you, you know, everything is the environment. But from a farmer's perspective, why is it also so important on the farmer's side to be concerned with those things and to just, you know, pay attention to their everyday
9: practices? Well, it's really beneficial for farmers because we didn't realize, we weren't taught years ago that we could do these practices and you could reduce your, your cost per acre, uh, reducing your fertilizer costs, you know, saving your end, reducing runoff uh, you know sediment runoff and uh, just by doing that and getting healthy soil that's biologically alive can make a really big difference and and at that point with biologically live soil you can get the nutrients out of your ground and to the plants where by doing tillage it destroys that process and we got to add synthetic fertilizer all the time to get the product so it's beneficial to farmers to, to in this time to reduce our input costs and cost per acre cleaner water less nitrates in the water less phosphorus runoff so it's a win-win situation out here with this regenerative agriculture
2: now what kind of response you'd say that you get kind of some good response from farmers and coming thanking you for helping them get involved in it helping educate them on some of this stuff what kind of response do you see then from people that maybe aren't involved in agriculture and see all of the really good work that farmers within dodge county are doing
9: we, yeah, we do see a lot. There's some farmers that just won't. We try to get them to these events. Like today, we had a good event, and we always want to do a really nice event. We want to have good food. Good food always makes a difference. Farmers want to come. They're on the edge, and and uh, just so many people on the edge. But they got to understand and come to our, some of these meetings, and and we'll explain to them why it's important. And if they can see the importancies of it, we'll get more and more people on board and help. You know, help with this farmer led group and help the farmers get started. You know, it, it's not. You know this has got to happen I mean we're in a in a situation now that we, we this this regenerative side is going to happen and it's going to be here forever so it's not like a we started moldboard plowing like I did you know that was supposed to be the lifesaver everything and then we went to chisel plowing and then we went to minimum till and and uh, this regenerative side is something that's going to be here forever I know it will be here and what I've seen it in our crops and everything the turn around and the healthiness of our crops and the nutrient density that's missing in all our corn and soybeans and any type of other products we grow now because the soil is so depleted and it's not getting the minerals it needs out of the soil so now
2: every farm across the state of wisconsin and even honestly across dodge county is diverse and different so practices might look a little bit different For different people, you know, giving them, spurring them, ideas though, can really help with those problems. What are some of the things looking forward? Other things, you know, we talked about some cover crops and no-till and that kind of stuff today. What are some other things that you think going down the road you might have to focus on to educate
9: these farmers about as well? Well, they can see the trouble. A lot of people don't see the benefits. You know, it just looks like a cornfield all the time. And and some of the nutrient-enriched cereals, you know, General Mills is putting a big push now to grow oats, you know, on a, on a regenerative soil so they got more nutrient density in there. And that, it's a, that's a tough question because it's just people don't see it by driving down the road what we're doing out here. And it's, it's, it's stories like I can tell, everybody can tell. We get in the newspaper. I had a nice article on the Epic Times out of Chicago, did an article on us, and educating the city people on what goes in. If we can get more... Diverse articles and stories out to the general public of what it actually we're doing, I think it's going to make a big impact. Definitely. Well,
2: Tony Parvick, chairman of the Dodge County Farmers for Healthy Soil and Healthy Water, talking about regenerative agriculture, practices such as cover crops, no-till, and lots of different things.